Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 181 for Monday, February 21st, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is my good friend Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. And if your beard is long in the tooth, I realize we're talking to a very specific section of our audience, <laughs> uh, you might want to listen to the render distance where uh, all three of us, hint, hint, talked about beards and uh, how we've been handling the beards this winter. Uh, if you would like to uh, know who that is that I'm talking about, you're going to just have to hold on for one more second while I talk to you about the monthly Minecraft patron hangout, which is happening this coming Saturday, February 26th at 12 p.m. Atlantic time. That's UTC minus four hours. The live channel and details will be posted in our Discord. This is going to be for members of our Discord only. This is a casual chat where Johnny and I will hang out with our patrons. Uh, thank them, obviously, for the amazing support. And just talk about what they've been in, doing in Minecraft lately. Uh, this is the first of these events, so obviously they will develop over time. But it's going to be an awful lot of fun. If you are a member of our uh, patronage, then please uh, keep an eye on the Discord and join us this coming Saturday. And joining us this week... Mr. Slice Lime has managed to uh, grace us with the very well <laughs> presence after uh, some some schedule dodging and, and sorting things out in the last couple of weeks. The tech lead for Minecraft Java Edition, a YouTube content creator making videos on forthcoming Minecraft updates and a member of the Legacy SMP, also a streamer on Twitch and at Sliced Lime on Twitter, although please report all bugs. To the bug tracker slice lime welcome to the show my friend thank you i'm uh, super happy to finally be here uh, hey. despite illness and everything else yes and uh you are not the the first developer we've had on the show but you join a a, a storied list of our guests at this point um it's going to be a delight to chat to you today and speaking of what we've been doing in minecraft lately that's what we usually start off the show with and as uh, tradition dictates the guest goes first so what have you been up to in minecraft lately well, I've uh, there's been an awful lot of Minecraft news going around, so I've been doing a lot of news video work, which sadly means not actually playing the game all that much. Uh, but when I have been playing the game, I have uh, been on Legacy SMP where I'm playing. I, I make both the videos and stream from there. And uh, so one of the latest projects on there has been to make a bulk villager trading machine, if you will. Uh, we're calling it a pest dispenser for villager trades. And, uh, well, basically the idea is lots of people have trading setups where you get a certain enchantment or you, you want this certain weapon to be really good. Well, we want a setup for, I want lots and lots of glass or something like that. So you want to trade the same thing and you want to trade lots of it. So you need lots of villagers, but instead of wandering around and... Uh, you know, trading with one, trading with the other. We figured it would be really fun if if you would stand in one place and have the villagers come to you. So I've been building this really big machine to sort of transport the villagers around. When you've traded with them, detect that with uh, some redstone uh, mechanisms and make them go back to where they can restock, basically. So that's a pretty big project. Uh, I think I've got something that works now. I'm going to build the whole thing and hopefully not found out that I was wrong. <laughs> so that, that, will be, uh, that will be interesting to see when I, when I complete the project. That sounds 
exactly like what I need in my world because I feel like whenever you buy an enchanted book or something, you got like a mending villager, for example, you buy all of the books you need and then you realize that's all the mending I need. And so I find villagers always become like a place I can buy glass so I don't have to go and mine sand for ages or, you know, there's there's a bunch of really useful resources hidden in those trades that we tend to overlook because we're always going for the power trade, you know, the diamond pickaxe, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think we identified three things that we want lots and lots of on the server. It's it's glass, it's quartz, because everybody loves <laughs> yes. building it with quartz. 100%. And it's uh, experience bottles, because we want to be able to basically put like a station of like, oh, your gear is kind of low. Yeah, here, pull this lever or stand here for a bit and you're, you're good to go again. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to just get tons and tons of, of XP bottles, uh, which requires a lot of trading. <laughs> sure does, yeah. But uh, clerics have never been more handy. I, I ended up getting a bunch of enderpearls from... Uh, a cleric instead of going around farming Enderman for my first trip to the end and again that trade slips by you if you're not prepared for it but having uh, a bunch of fully maxed out villagers is is definitely a recipe for success it's a really convenient way of, of getting that too like bartering was super popular in in some versions and now it's less common from them so i find that the, the villager trade is actually a pretty nice way of getting it early in the game yeah, definitely. Uh, what about other stuff on streams? Because I know you've been playing a few different data packs that you've, some of them you've kind of coded yourself, other stuff that's just kind of really community driven. Is there anything else like that that's been in the rotation lately? That, that's right. Yeah, I've, uh, I know you've talked a, a whole bunch about uh, a bingo on the show already. Mm -hmm. I've been playing oh, yes. that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've really been enjoying that. Although sometimes you get into these runs where, where you, uh, just some slight mistake causes you to lose so much time and, oh, yeah. and it's really frustrating but uh, so I, i'm really enjoying that and then the second thing that i've been doing is well it's another thing that you've been talking about on the show before i think uh i made a data pack a while back called half-hearted hardcore um that is a really really tough challenge as, as you probably know mm -hmm. um but something that's happened on it is uh, I figured out you could make a farm for golden apples and then that made you kind of safe. And then uh, some of the other uh, streamers who've been playing it, uh, specifically uh, a streamer called Dave, the guy 1604 and uh, Bruno Dan Uri, they've been uh, farming for totems in that challenge. And I kind of really, I didn't really like that it kind of made the challenge a lot less tricky when you've got that kind of access to resources. So I came up with an even more difficult challenge uh, <laughs> called the Heartless Challenge, uh, which is essentially a complete no-hit run. Any any damage you take, any hit you take will kill you. Uh, so that's what I've been, been up to lately. I uh, started a new world, uh, I think last week. And this week I was um, ready enough to enter the nether traveled around looking for a skeleton for quite a while uh, not skeletons traveled around looking for a fortress for quite a while uh which was really tricky it was it was a, another that wasn't easy to deal with um i think i saw the largest basalt deltas biome i have ever <laughs> seen there and that's not what you want to be traveling through when any hit oh yes will kill you mm -hmm. uh so i finally found a fortress got a bunch of fire resistance potions from a piglin after raiding a bastion and stealing all their gold and tried to enter there to get blaze rods that was the whole point 
and those potions were running out really quickly, so I was getting more and more stressed and, and ultimately ended up dying to a skeleton that just dropped in on my head. Oh no. Yeah, it's always heartbreaking. I think one of my most successful half-hearted hardcore runs was a combo of a blaze and a skeleton as I turned a corner, and I think <laughs> I, I managed to block the blaze, but then the skeleton got me from the side, and they're, they're sneaky, they'll flank you, so that's it, it's got to be even more stressful if you're playing and you know that any piece of damage can hurt you, because on, on half-hearted hardcore, without even... Um, you know, golden apples and totems and stuff, if you have enough protection on your armor, your armor can still save you from, say, if you're standing on a, a magma block or something like that. The one kind of That's true. point of damage that it deals, you'll, it'll still absorb it. But uh, yeah, with with not taking any damage at all, especially in a Basalt Delta, that's that's got to be like, you know, a white knuckle ride. They're extremely unforgiving, these challenges, and, and you've really got to be in the mindset to play them because... It's, it can be so frustrating, but but if you're in the right mindset, then it can be an extremely enjoyable challenge. Uh, you know, you probably have to have quite a lot of experience with the game to really enjoy it. But but if, if you're looking for something completely new to try, something that makes you really kind of change how you play the game, because you have to think about things in a very different way when you're in that type of, of really challenging environment, then, then it's a, a really nice thing to try, I think. Yeah, I mean, for for players like me and Joel who will jump off the roof of a house without a second thought and just go, "Ow, my knees!" <laughs> I feel yeah. like you you know that you know yeah. that feeling, right, Joel? Oh, I do. I, it's one of the reasons why I was going through so much food in the early days of All of Fabric Five is because I was jumping off of five and six tall builds, just not caring, realizing like I have boots on, but they have no enchantments. You know, like mm -hmm. there's no feather falling. Uh, I don't have a lighter to glide to a safe landing when I jump. You know, ten blocks down. Uh, there's been a number of times when, uh, thankfully, I didn't die, uh, but it would have been very frustrating where, like, I try to jump across a crack in the ground and realize that, oh, right, like, I'm in uh, Terralith and 118, so uh, the drop was long enough to take me down to one heart, and I was at 28 levels, kind of saving up to see if we can get, like, a silk touch something, finally. Uh, and if I had died there, I would have just, I wouldn't have rage quit, but I would have just like, all right, well, what are we doing for the rest of the stream? Because it's no longer going for a pickaxe, you know? Um, I, I've often wondered with the half heart, heart, hardcore and that kind of stuff. Sliced, are those, are the motivations for those data packs simply to make Minecraft harder as a new challenge? Or do they stem from like your experience with other games growing up that were like the, we'll say like the traditional hard kind of video games? No, I don't think it's necessarily. I guess the the latest one, the No Hit Challenge, came out of not those types of games, but but other gaming communities. So specifically, the the Dark Souls community right. has this type of No Hit runs that some some of their speedrunners do, and that that was uh, well, at least what triggered the thought of, hey, maybe I could make Triple H Half Hearted Hardcore even harder. Uh, so that that's why that came about. But but really, my challenge runs have just evolved, and and I really just like playing Minecraft in different ways, ways that that aren't just the default. Oh, play the game till the end. So before these, I've done a a number of different weird runs, and not all of them are even data packs. Like I played a a no jump challenge, with, in which I just unbound my jump key. And tried to complete the game that way, and it was it was a lot of fun. You're placing slabs everywhere so that you can walk up hills and things like that, right? Yeah, and you accidentally fall down one block and go, oh, oh, 
darn, what do I do <laughs> <Yeah>. now? <laughs> I'm stuck here. <laughs> Wait, I have enough sticks to create one ladder. Okay, I'm saved, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, uh, in my survival guide world, I'm pretty happy that I'm not going to die if I take any damage, because I've just moved into a dripstone cave, and really just running around on the floor is a recipe to take damage. It's it's intense. Um, and I'm, I'm slowly turning this into a, a kind of fantasy-heavy mining project kind of ba base build, um, where the highlights so far includes converting one of the pillars... That uh, the sort of massive pillars of dripstone blocks into a lava farm with cauldrons now. So I'm I'm farming infinite fuel if I want to use that for bulk smelting stuff. And there's a lot of copper around, so I'm thinking I'll do something with that later on. Maybe make a massive blast furnace array. Um, I've also built a geode around my Nether portal, and instead of trying to emulate the Minecraft style of geode that you'll find generating naturally in the world, I went more for the uh, you know gift shop crystal kind of window display kind of geode where it's more kind of triangular shaped and upright and I was really happy with that put a couple of other layers of material around it and it came out uh, it came out looking really nice so I've been been running around taking a little bit of extra damage from just like running and jumping because if you if you fall a block onto pointed dripstone you do still take damage but it's it's a fun place to build and the cave itself is massive so every angle i look at this thing from it's so atmospheric and it goes even deeper than is visible from the surface it goes down to you know about why you know 20 or something like that in the floor of the main cave but then you go around a corner you go down another 30 blocks or so and there's dripstone in the deep slate layers as well so i'm having a lot of fun exploring that and i still feel like i haven't seen every corner of this place yet i was catching up on your videos and saw the thunderstorm that you could witness from inside yeah. the dripstone cave yeah, that was the, awesome the the hill is kind of carved out in sections where the the cheese cave carver has just opened this thing out so you can see a bunch of holes on the hillside as you approach and then from the inside you get the dramatic like the atmospheric lighting that happens when lightning strikes outside and it's it's chaotic and fun it also means i have to increase the brightness on all of my video footage when i upload to youtube because otherwise you can't see anything in there it's just grainy and black um but i'm slowly lighting the place up as well trying to figure out ways that i can light with more than just torches especially now other light sources are so much more viable for mob proofing and it's it's proving a really interesting challenge so i'm trying to mix that in with obviously the tutorial aspect of the series that i do but it's it's been a lot of fun just to get my teeth into a build project again with as dark as uh the new caves are uh, where this is a dripstone cave and a lot of the surface is going to be covered by pointed dripstone, obviously you don't have to worry too much about what's above you, but with all the stuff below you, are you finding that there's more or less mobs spawning in, in the biome? I'm finding there's fewer because there's enough stuff on the ground that it kind of breaks up any pack spawning that might happen. I find that the main problem is because of the height of some of those pillars, if I put torches around them on the ground, I still have to make sure I light halfway up the pillars as well because there'll be dark spots further up in in the landscape. And so the sheer right. size of it is the other thing, right? You, you end up putting down a bunch of torches you turn around and all you see is you know a network of dark areas that are probably still spawnable and you've gone through about three stacks of torches already and you're not even close to done so yeah it's it's been fun working with a space that large which was something we probably couldn't even do without carving it out ourselves in previous minecraft updates but yeah man it's going to be a, a long-term project and it's uh, it's a lot of work 
Um, the only other thing I've done this week is check out the experimental Deep Dark snapshot live on stream. So uh, before I get too deep into that, we'd better start reading the news. Sounds like a plan. Uh, I'm going to kick off with Minecraft Java Edition 1.18.2 Snapshots 22W07A. This is the, <laughs> I, I don't want to call this the boring stuff because this is probably sliced bread and butter, but we're getting this out of the way before all of the excitement of the, the deep dark experiments. So we got some technical changes coming in, including biome tags now being used to determine which biomes a structure can generate in. So if you want your custom world generation data pack to spawn desert temples in the mesa or the jungle or the void, <laughs> you can do that now. Uh, the other fixed Bugs of note uh, include rooted dirt being replaced by uh, rooted dirt replacing cave vines. That's now been fixed. Grass blocks generating underwater. Tropical fish in lush caves spawning in bubble columns. Enchanting table registering blocks diagonally above the bookshelves as blocking the bookshelves. And the game crashing when attempting to open the beacon GUI. All of those have been tidied away and fixed in that snapshot. Shortly after the snapshot, the pre-release one for 118.2 was released. Uh, changes in that release include that users running Minecraft in a 32-bit environment will receive a warning in the main menu about the upcoming end of 32-bit environment support. Technical changes in pre-release 1. The data pack version is now 9. It is now possible to add custom structures in experimental data packs. Locate and locate biome commands now support tags, prefix with the hashtag to distinguish from normal IDs. The locate command parameter is now configured structure rather than structure type. For instance, you can now use slash locate village uh, underscore desert or slash locate shipwreck underscore beached. A, lo a lot of cave generation is now configurable through data packs. Configurable structures and caves. The full details of these changes are going to be in the Minecraft.net article linked in our show notes. A couple of quick hits are that a new registry was added for density functions. Caves are created by combining those together. The game now generates and stores data-driven configured structures, and experimental data packs can add new structure sets. Fixed bugs of note in pre-release one. Structure-related mobs do not spawn in flat-type world generation. Player movement favors x-axis when in a corner. Ruined portals never generate in super flat worlds by default. Strongholds do not generate in certain customized worlds despite the slash locate saying otherwise. There was also a pre-release 2 earlier today, but we unfortunately didn't have time to fit that into the show notes. You can go and check that out at minecraft.net as well. But the one we've all been waiting for, at least most of us have been waiting for, a very scary snapshot. Uh, we'll have a link to the Deep Dark Experimental Snapshot 1 in the show notes as well. It says, find out how to dive into the Deep Dark. Keep in mind this is an experimental snapshot, it's still a work in progress, and nothing, including the structures and the warden, are in their final form. So the features we've got on the list for Deep Dark Experimental Snapshot 1 include adding the Deep Dark biome to the overworld. The Deep Dark generates below Y0, but it's a relatively rare biome. It's not like every Deep Slate cave is now a Deep Dark biome. It doesn't quite work like that. You'll notice them by patches of skulk appearing, and there is a chance for an ancient city structure to generate. There are also no mob spawns throughout this biome except for the Warden. 
Ancient cities are a structure which, as aforementioned, can appear in the deep dark biome. The centerpiece is a large frame with a mysterious block called Reinforced Deep Slate. We don't know what it does, and nobody is telling us quite yet. There are corridors with wall blocks on the floor so that your footsteps can be muffled as you explore, and there are side rooms with chests and usually a lot of skulk blocks. These chests have a chance to contain a new boots enchantment called Swift Sneak, which increases your move speed while sneaking up to full walking speed at tier 3. A new mob effect unique to the Warden and the Skulk Shrieker has been added, the Darkness effect, which we've seen in a couple of demo videos and we can now experience firsthand. The Warden and the Skulk Shrieker afflict you with it when nearby. It's a little bit different to the Blindness effect, the fog kind of rolls in from the distance. And to control that, there is a new accessibility slider that's been added in the options menu called Darkness Effect. That controls how dark things get. Uh, right now it's the equivalent of turning your brightness from bright down to moody, I think. Um, but when a Warden or Skulk Shrieker gives it to you, you can kind of control that through this new option in the options menu. It won't affect the distance that the fog comes in, so you still won't be able to see very far. It's just about darkness versus visibility. The Skulk Blocks, Veins, Shriekers, and Catalysts have been added to the game with this snapshot, and the Skulk Sensor has been returned to the Creative Mode menu. Skulk Catalysts will spread Skulk Blocks and Veins to surrounding blocks when a mob dies within an 8 block radius. They'll continue to spread beyond that radius if it generates a new Skulk Catalyst. The full details of all of this stuff is in the changelog and I recommend checking this out because there's a lot of detail in there that will help you if you want to try this out in creative, try making farms with it, that kind of stuff. In the meantime, Skulk Shriekers alert the Warden when stepped on by the player or when a Skulk Sensor is tripped nearby. All the Skulk family blocks require Silk Touch to get hold of them, otherwise they drop experience when mined, and the efficient tool for all Skulk family blocks is the hoe. Finally, the one we've all been waiting for, the Warden, has emerged, and it emerges once Skulk Shriekers have been tripped enough times. It tries to locate the player by vibrations and smell, so even if you aren't moving and making footstep noises, it can still sniff you out. The more sounds it hears, the more angry it becomes, and throwing projectiles can distract it, but if you throw them too quickly, it gets angry and starts to triangulate your location. Colliding with the Warden also makes it hostile, so you can't sneak up on this thing. Uh, if you keep the Warden from noticing you or get angry for 60 seconds, it will dig back underground and despawn, but then it'll spawn again when you activate another Skulk Shrieker. Warden's attacks will also stun a player's shield, similar to how an attack with an axe does, and finally, they do not drop any loot. So, good luck fighting those. Um, we'll probably get into more of our thoughts on the Deep Dark a little bit later on. Um, did we all get to check out the snapshot? I know I did. Uh, how about you guys? I didn't play the snapshot, uh, but I feel a lot smarter having watched Slice Lime's What's New in Minecraft video about the snapshots. <laughs> uh, and I have, to, I have to say, Slice, I really appreciate these videos every week because uh, I'm a I'm a, a builder player. Uh, I am. I do technical stuff in Redstone, but I I do find sometimes getting under the hood in in Minecraft can be over my head, and I really enjoy the way that you explain uh, the features that are coming that are technical like this, uh, especially in the um, the pre-release. The thing that I, that caught my attention uh, as recently playing All of Fabric Five with the Terralith world generation mod which is also a data pack so people can use it in vanilla minecraft uh, mm -hmm. i can see developers of mods like that getting really excited about configurable caves and configurable structures uh being able to put like jungle temples in spruce biomes or like vice versa whatever um is that the kind of thing that 
that these changes are kind of geared for, for people customizing and, and doing stuff outside of vanilla? Or do these changes actually also help like vanilla as well? The primary motivation is for extensibility for it's funny the Terralith developers are actually very active uh, in the community and and give a lot of feedback and and yes they do really appreciate this stuff um it hopefully it ends up helping out for future developments in vanilla as well but uh if you look back at the caves and cliffs update we did a lot of work with how the world generates for that update and you know some of that benefited the, the custom world building community as well and some didn't because we didn't fully have time to expose it so this is kind of the the final step on on the journey but the the first steps were all the things we needed for vanilla and then uh, the, these last steps are the things that sort of didn't make the cut for that yeah, I definitely saw a few folks on Twitter both getting excited about this and expressing some lighthearted frustration that it didn't happen sooner or it happened in a, in a dot release because, yeah, mm -hmm. there are some folks who've been working on bits and pieces, mods and, and terrain gen stuff, and they're just kind of going, ah, that, that's exactly the thing I needed and the thing I had to, like, code around when I was, you know, trying to place a few structures in the world and, and do some of that stuff. So, obviously, yeah, I, I'm sure long-term it's going to benefit them a great deal, but uh, you've got to feel for them occasionally when this stuff comes out like right after they've just spent a bunch of time on uh, on, on working it out for themselves oh totally uh i didn't get a chance to play uh the deep dark experimental snapshot and i know we're going to get into like first impressions later um but i've i've made a decision after the experimental snapshots for 117 that i did get into uh last june just may june something like that um i think i'm gonna just not play like I'm, I'm not going to get into the experimental snapshots i think the first time that i personally will experience the deep dark and the warden is going to be uh at least in survival it's going to be when it's released uh i i think that part of it is a personal thing where like i've experienced uh performance issues with experimental snapshots in the past and it's not a dig it's just a note on my experience and i just end up not having any fun. I find it very distracting. It takes me out of the game. Uh, I'm also, I've discovered, not a huge fan of starting over in vanilla just to specifically go do one thing, right? Like to just go get the warden or experience a deep dark or whatever. I, for whatever reason, I feel like I'm more curious about what that experience is going to be for me on the Citadel after four plus years of, you know, doing that and seeing what that experience might be. Um, and I, I think the deep dark, and the warden are cool i'm just not super into pve in minecraft shrug you know like that's just kind of where i am but i'm enjoying watching everybody else kind of experience it so so far i've just kind of taken it in through through other people's videos yeah i i think the thing about the the deep dark in particular is you're gonna go there like even if you're not into the challenge of let me go fight the warden you know which i don't think is something that a lot of players are going to want to do anyway because this thing is tough as nails um but also i think i think most people are going to be there either for the redstone capabilities of skulk sensors or they're going to be there for skulk blocks and a way to get those renewably because i think that's a really interesting block set and it has a new aesthetic for minecraft that tends towards like a little bit more of the dark creepy thing but is 
one of those blocks that you can use in a variety of situations. Like I can imagine an arcade carpet being made out of skulk blocks, as long as you don't mind it being kind of squishy, as though you know you're walking around on it and somebody spilt their coke, and that's the the squish sound that your your feet are making. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's going to be reasons to go there, even if you're not into the PVE stuff. But I guess for like a first time experience in this, it's not in a permanent world. You're not really going to have a chance to mess around with the blocks all that much, and you can just go and build them in creative if you if you wanted to to try the blocks out in a in a palette. Um, in in my case, I wanted to experience the deep dark in survival just because I've been you know this has been built up to for so long, and I really wanted to experience the warden as soon as it was in the game because it's a horror experience in Minecraft. Um, and I actually got really lucky in that I found an ancient city within half an hour. I just kind of idly threw the snapshot up at the end of a stream where I'd already been going for a couple of hours. And I was extremely lucky because having tried to load up a few more worlds and, and find the deep dark without any commands used or anything, I have had a hard time finding it any other time. <laughs> um, but I, I do think... It's the kind of thing that needs to be experienced in survival if you're into that kind of thing, if you haven't seen it elsewhere, if it's your first time experience, just because, like, you get the atmosphere that way and you'll only, you know, you only get one chance to experience it for the first time, especially with something as evocative of this, where uh, having heard King B-Dogs talk about it, about how he wants to evoke the fear that you felt on your first night in Minecraft back when you first started playing it and you didn't know what anything was and suddenly all of the, the monsters come out of the darkness. I, I like that idea and the vibe is so strong with the Warden that I want to make sure I experience it the way it's meant to be stumbled upon and 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 get the first hand fear and oh boy <laughs> i was i was feeling it it's it's a, a very very fun experience slice what's been your kind of first experience like with uh the deep dark snapshot so usually with snapshots i i kind of have a lot of experience with them even before they go out so so that's it's a little bit of a spoiler uh sensation i guess i've this time around, because because there are multiple developments happening at the same time, I've been focused on the the one eighteen two release and the structure configurability and all of the the customizable world generation. And so, of course, I you know I see development of the deep dark going on, and I know okay we're doing approximately this and that with the warden, right? But I you know I didn't have the details. I never like especially with the the way the skulk blocks work and so on. I, I didn't know the exact functionality, which is it's kind of an unusual treat, and I've really been been enjoying that. So I've kind of I guess just experienced a, a whole bunch of these things firsthand. And the thing that really struck me was the vibe, and is I think a really elegant uh, choice that they've not filled the biome with other mobs right it's it's empty and emptiness and and the the lack of anything combined with the the effects and the sound design really even though you know i i did a lot of the stuff for capturing video footage for an update video so it was like switch out of creative mode okay try to provoke this and then the effects and the sound kick off and you go like ooh, ooh okay all right <laughs> you know it's it's really really cool to see that vibe going on and i really really did um enjoy seeing that for basically the first time while i was working on this thing 
uh, on this video uh, and not while tinkering with code. <laughs> yeah. So that's really nice. I, I've not played it in survival yet, though. So like that's a, an experience I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I, I think it's it's cool if you can still look forward to that part. And you're right, the the lack of other sounds in there is so noticeable because even without that much ambient stuff going on in the regular Minecraft world, there's usually, you know, water flowing in the background from something. You hear animals, you hear mobs underground. Even if you're on the surface, you'll, like, walk over a patch where a cave is and there's zombie or skeleton noise. In the deep dark, there's nothing. And, you know, <laughs> depending on how the uh, the surroundings have generated, because uh, I, I found one when I was just zooming around in creative afterwards that was in a, in a dripstone cave. Like, dripstone features are generated into part of this ancient city. And so you still got the atmospheric drips from the dripstone stone in the ceiling but that even made it more atmospheric because there's just one tiny sound and you think is that going to summon the warden you know is is that the thing that's going to going to trip this off so nice. there's 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 definitely a an oppressive silence when you go down there which really adds to the whole feeling and and do the drips trip the skull sensors <laughs> i don't think they do uh because it's more ambience than anything else it's not interacting right. directly with the world and it's not producing vibrations i've had many people correct me in in the comments of videos where i've said something about the warden detecting you based on sound and they're like it's vibrations and i'm like well that's kind of what sounds are but you yeah, have fair play for making that distinction because there is within minecraft a mechanical difference that we are all going to have to get very used to before long what do you say we check out some email Yes, yeah, we, we want to thank everybody who wrote in to uh, this show in particular because we did announce that Sliced was going to be joining us, so we got a couple of really fantastic emails from members of our community. Uh, if you want to email the show and get your emails read, not perhaps to a developer, but uh, potentially to other guests in future, or just to myself and Joel, you can email us at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Joel, why don't you read this first one? First email is from Pixel Sage Prototyping. Hello, Johnny, Joel, and Sliced. After watching Secrets of the Warden, the YouTube video, I was wondering, does every single new Minecraft feature go through so much prototyping, testing, and balancing? If yes, how many prototypes do developers draft for a new feature? Is it based on the feature? Does the team also keep in mind the community feedback you will be getting after releasing a feature in the form of a snapshot? Thanks for an amazing game and a wonderful podcast. Pixel Sage died out of pure trauma after seeing the terrifying prototype warden. <laughs> you can't blame them. <laughs> no, right? I, yeah, I, we have a lot of like passed out death from warden sign-offs in our inbox this week. Yeah. And and even the, the the prototype ones that are like weird asymmetrical creatures that they they shared in that video like wild designs like so interesting but you can you can kind of see how the process sort of gets refined so yeah sliced you can obviously speak to this that's kind of the the point of the email um how mm -hmm. how much do you see of this uh, with new features and how common is it that things will go through you know months of iterations or something before you uh, hit on the the exact thing you want to add. I would say it's really different for different features. Um, Minecraft development has traditionally been extremely fluid, I guess, and, and very um, innovative in a way that some, some I guess, ideas of, of just single developers or, or somebody on the team just says something and, and everybody goes, that would be really fun. And, and then they end up in the snapshot that afternoon, right? So that, that has happened. Uh, but then also some things like the warden and, and other 
kind of more uh, centerpiece features of an update. We'll we'll go through a, a ton of of iterations and and sometimes there are you know there's only slivers left of the original idea because there's been so much iteration that that the thing changed four times over and uh, and you end up with like that's really cool. I think I know where that came from, but it's 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 not the same. So. Uh, it goes through iteration on, in terms of behavior. It goes through iteration in terms of art style and, and how the thing is supposed to look and sound and, and feel, really. So it, it's really hard to say, like, oh, yeah, we, we got through this amount of iteration on a feature because sometimes we just nail it, right? Sometimes something comes up, we go like, yeah, that's obvious. Let's just do it. And, and it turns out really well. And sometimes it's a lot of... of pain really to try to like we're, we've tried this 10 things now and nothing is really working let's try number 11 so um yeah it's really varied I, the the thing the second part of that question is almost more important to us like we we expect community feedback and we uh we always make sure that we have time to take that feedback in so there are times when somebody comes up with a, a really cool thing that we'd really like to do and we go like, no, we can't do it now because it's too late. And if we did it now, we wouldn't have time to react to any feedback that came in. So we'd rather wait a little bit with this cool thing and, and do it later so that we have proper time to listen to the community. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's so evident from the approach Minecraft has taken over the years. Like you think about the amount of feedback that was put into stuff like the texture updates. And it's interesting that you mentioned art style because um, Jappa, Jasper Burstra has been posting a few images and, you know, test videos today from mangrove biomes, for example. And I know there's been a lot of feedback about mangrove wood and, um, you know, what kind of direction that's going visually but then presumably that's the kind of stuff that because it has foundation in an existing system you know how planks slabs stairs all of that stuff operates it's a matter of allowing for more of those types of blocks and just skinning them with the art style and the art style is really the thing that matters but then community feedback is always going to play a role there so you can't just one day release a new wood type and call it done because everybody's going to have an opinion on that right everybody knows how, how they would love their next type of wood to look right mm -hmm. like so yeah i i sometimes do feel feel sorry for for japa because <laughs> you know there are some some items i think he just does the same he just nails it in the first time and everybody goes oh that's beautiful awesome thank you let's give me this thing now and in other cases everybody goes that's not gold. Those are chicken nuggets. Yeah, or that, something, that's you know? beans. The bean blocks. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, bean, no. the bean blocks. Yeah, In, entirely that. Yeah, no, I, I feel like sympathy for Jaffa has become almost like its own segment on this show <laughs> because we've <laughs> we've definitely had a lot of those discussions in the past. But uh, yeah, ever since the um, the the one fourteen update when when all of the textures ended up getting changed, it was it was clear that he had to develop a very thick skin around that kind of stuff but i think a lot of it is reading into all of that community feedback right it's it's understanding that if people say something that you think well that's not entirely fair it's just them expressing themselves in the way that they can and it gives you you can read between the lines a little bit and try and pull out the feedback that's actually useful to you as a development team yeah absolutely and it's a really tricky art actually trying to figure out okay how much do do we listen right because sometimes it's just like half of the community is really screaming about this but if you if you did something then the other half would be screaming and 
it, in, in a way, there are some cases where you go, okay, this is annoying to people, but maybe even the feature being slightly annoying is a good thing because there's supposed to be some challenge left in dealing with whatever it is so that you are forced to develop a redstone machine to use this new feature, for instance, instead of just, you know, I plonk down this block, it does exactly everything I need it to do. So there's there's some balancing, it's a balancing act, I guess, in, in figuring out how much do I want to cater to everybody's, you know, expressed desires, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think, too, when you're dealing with stuff that's subjective like that, uh, or even when into the technical community, you'd have to learn with community feedback, like, wow, this is really loud. But is it the loud minority versus, like, does 90% of the player base just not really care that much about this one thing, but these other folks are really getting bent out of shape about it? Mm-hmm. And, and the, you need to learn to tell the difference between here's this loud min minority that really cares and nobody else cares at all, either way. And here's this loud minority that really cares, but the silent 90% really want to keep it the way it is. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 Because obviously, I mean, well, complaints always just ring louder than, than compliments a lot of the time, just in just normal culture, mm -hmm. not just Minecraft. Um, in terms of like moving away from the subjective stuff, I have a follow-up question from Launched Into Orbit that came in via email. How often do Minecraft new Minecraft features get discarded because they would negatively affect game performance? So it's a good idea, subjectively or, or otherwise, we can't do it because it just won't play well in in the game. Hmm. Uh, that that does happen, and I don't think it happens after much development i think we're pretty good at, at kind of evaluating the technical impact of suggested features early and there have been cases where we've all gathered up developers from from bedrock edition developers from java edition uh, together with designers sat down in a room they go like we really want to do this and that and everybody goes how about you do this instead, which is similar, but wouldn't make people's machines burn. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, that's a, 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 it's a bit different than just saying, no, we can't do it because it's too heavy. So usually we try to not go like, okay, no, but rather, okay, I'm, tr I'm trying to see what kind of experience you wanted from this suggested feature is there a different way that we can do that that is just more technically uh, sound in in the environment that that you're implementing this in? Uh, but there are cases where we also just go, nah, that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a balancing act, and sometimes you have to make sure that the weight on one end is not going to be super heavy for people with, you know, an iPad, for example. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to this next email. This one comes in from Pseudovar, who's a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject this time is, how successful was the split? Hi Joel Picks and Sliced, longtime listener, finally decided to support the show I've been listening to for so long. Thank you very much for the support. For Sliced, I'd like to know how successful the split of 1.18 has been in avoiding developer burnout. Being a developer in my past, I know how stressful outside pressures can be, and that there can sometimes be a lack of empathy for the work that goes into a development project, especially bug fixing. Do you think that Mojang having such a big following and engagement with its community allowed you to do this without seeing the community backlash we've seen with other studios when either delaying release or shipping incomplete software? Thanks to all of you for what you do, Pseudovar died using experimental features. <laughs> yes, so so many experiments going horribly wrong, I think, or horribly right. Um, 
yeah, so obviously the the announcement happens the caves and cliffs update is being split into 117 is going to have blocks and mobs 118 is going to have terrain and we didn't see a great deal of backlash from that decision i think there has been again a vocal minority who are just going to complain for the sake of complaining um but in the case of this we saw a lot of positivity coming from the minecraft community uh sliced what was that like as somebody who's you know, obviously stressing out about this and, and actively working on the game. How did that feel to uh, see that from the community? Let's go back to the first part of the question. So so was it successful? And there was a lot of work. There's there's no denying that. Even with the split, there was a lot of work. But the, the most su successful thing about the split is that the alternative would not have been to to burn out or to not, you know, not manage to hit the deadline, it would have been to ship something that we would not have been proud of. And I think that would have been really devastating for, for a team like the Minecraft team, where everybody's so passionate about the, the product that we, that we release. So I think that was the biggest part of it for me was, was uh, finding a solution out of the situation that we were in that meant that we could all feel like okay yeah there's still a lot of work left to do no denying it but but now we feel like we we have a shot of of making the thing that we want to make mm -hmm. so that was that was the the kind of the the good output of the split yeah and, no, I, uh, I, i'm i'm nodding aggressively at the you know <laughs> for it to be something that you're proud of and yeah I, I think it's it's really become that looking at community reaction to 118 and you know seeing people exploring new terrain stuff i i think it's I, I, we can all agree at this point it's been worth the delay and it feels that way because it's here for us now I, obviously at the time it felt like we were going to be waiting a while but we were all hoping the wait was going to be worth it and i think it was i think it turned out all right i i even the first update, I, I, when we when we started talking about the split, I f I felt like really worried that the first part of the update would feel really lackluster, and I think it wasn't until I started looking at like okay, I need to start preparing my update video for this release, and I started going through all the new blocks added, and it was like, oh, I I can't even count all of these blocks. There's so <laughs> much stuff being added even in the first part because, I mean the 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 scope of the Caves and Cliffs update is large and we, we've split it into two and we now feel like, okay, we got all these things. But you got to remember that it was lar large even before the split. Like, we didn't have uh, the the update around Christmas that would normally have been there. So even before the split, it was a longer development cycle. So there is a lot of stuff going into this mm -hmm. into this update and, and uh, I think it, it turned out good even though yeah, it, it was less than an ideal way to do it, I guess. But then moving on to the community reaction, like I said, it, it was that something that you were surprised by? Were you kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that everybody was going to react to it okay? Were you bracing yourself for impact in that way? Oh, yeah. I, I personally was really worried. <laughs> and I think a lot of us were uh, because I think... I, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but there there were other games in the same time period that that were delaying, and uh, you know, we saw the reactions to those announcements, and it was it was rough. It was mm -hmm. it was it was a, a really really poorly received piece of news, right? So uh, we 
prepared mentally to really have this community that that is very often very supportive of our development kind of turned against us and that was a, definitely a possible outcome in my mind so i i was really surprised very positively surprised by how well the community took the news and looking back at it i think a key factor was that we we were really transparent about why we were doing these things and and we really um i with agnes and with henrik i think it was in in the video mm. uh, sort of announcing this split um showing a bit more of the human side behind the, the development and uh i've i've been in game developments for a while i've been in different companies and and uh, mojang is fairly unique in showing the face of developers at all so the difference between a human being showing up in a video and saying, hey, we we want to take more time because we want to make this thing into something that we're really proud of, and a press release where they say, this date is pushed back by a year. Yeah, like and it, there's... it could have been a text post on Twitter, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could definitely have been there. Or, or you know, this, this uh, uh, post on Minecraft.net and no human connection around it. And I think that would have been different. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It feels like brave. I think for for developers to kind of put themselves out there and say, you know, we're doing this for like the health of the team and because we want to, you know, push through with this vision that we have for it and we want to release something that we're proud of. But still, to put their faces to that publicly is, you know, kind of a a, a difficult thing. And I think it showed. But I think Agnes and Henrik did such a good job delivering that that everyone thought. You know, yeah, we're in safe hands. <laughs> I think it's it's good to see them both, uh, you know, so respected in the community. And as a result of that, I think they're uh, they're they're the ones to deliver news like that. I think. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that Mojang is really good at is rem not necessarily reminding the community, but keeping it in the forefront of the community's mind that the developers are players as well. And that's what I pulled away from that video announcement about the split was just like, you know, there was a part where Agnes was talking about like her 10 year old world that she doesn't want to break. <laughs> like it, and it wasn't at all a selfish comment. It was more like a, I won't, I don't want to break my world just as much as I don't want to break yours. So like, that's why we're taking the time to do this. Right. And I think because of the, the, the visual, I guess that you're saying that, you know, with developers from Mojang uh, that choose to like showing their faces and people that stream or people that are on these development videos. Um, I think it just reminds people that it's, you know, it, it, they're players and they're, they have the same concerns, you know, that, that you, the player base do. And so it, it, to me felt like, you know, the decision was being made by people that are in your corner as the player, right? Like not from some giant, you know, like you like like you said with a a, a press release from a, a giant corporation that you know you just kind of by default your brain just kind of says like well they're just you know, I don't know what the reasons are but it's just the, the bottom line is ultimately what's what's going to shift here and I I never ever seem to feel that with with Mojang with their any of the announcements really yeah and I think uh, from from work with uh, with Agnes and you know. It's easy to think that okay, yeah, we're making this announcement, so we need a, a you know somebody to tell about the announcement and to you know talk about how important it is with worlds and, and stuff. But it, this this is like the, that's Agnes that that's super genuine. Like that's she cares that much about that world and she cares that much about players' worlds, and it it really shows through that it is 
the the true nature is not like okay yeah we made this talking point up i think yeah and and thinking of the developers as players leads us really neatly into what we want to discuss today which obviously we want to be talking about the deep dark and the warden since it's our first look at that but with sliced here as our guest we thought it'd be a great opportunity to chat about minecraft development and the challenges that presents but also a bit of like the boundary between being a player of the game and a content creator for the game as well as the development side of things so to kick us off um what was your history with game development and how did you end up joining the minecraft team hmm. i have been a game developer for quite a long time before i joined mojang i i worked for electronic arts and uh, the dice studio in stockholm uh, for 11 years about um i was kind of on my way out from there i, I made one, one too many battlefield games uh, <laughs> i was gonna say like ea what, dice what famous for when, when i think of dice i always think of the battlefield logo so yeah that's uh, yeah that's 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 so your, made, your history yeah i worked on five different battlefield games i think and then uh mirror's edge catalyst which was a, mm-hmm. a blast a very different project to, within that studio uh but i was i was Minecraft, by the time I left, uh, was out for a few years. I had started my YouTube channel uh, playing Minecraft, making things in Minecraft and so on. And, uh, you know, that was that was fun. And it kind of got me into this feeling that I want to make something that is my own. I I want to be able to do my own projects. Um, I want to be able to make a side project if I want to prototype a game or something. And so I went to to the folks that I worked for, and and it was a hard no. Like they would not let me make, you know, passion projects on the side. Mm-hmm. And and I essentially de- decided that okay, I've uh, I've worked here long enough. I've I've got a buffer. It's it's pretty safe for me to leave and and start my own thing. And uh, so I was I was doing that at the same time. I uh, had made some maps that were added to uh, Minecraft Realms as the sort of uh, minigame maps that they have available on, on Realms. Uh, so I, when I left, I, I posted that on Twitter and uh, Mark Watson reached out to me and was like, hey, wait, um, you know, did you think about applying here? <laughs> you should send me your resume. And so I, I did. Um, and then, you know, eventually down the line joined Mojang from that. That's awesome. And it's, again, funny how, like we were saying earlier, like everybody who's joined the Mojang team was not involved in its inception because it was created by one person. So we end up with like so many fans of the game, so many people who are just kind of creating stuff for the game on the side. You've got the modding community, you've got map makers like you who have a, a foundation in coding programming stuff just joining up as as fans and being able to start working on the game they love i look back through the history of your youtube channel and like your oldest videos are stuff like command block contraptions and things like that so did that appeal to you about minecraft inherently was it the fact that oh i can code within this game using the game as a framework or was it more just like a general interest in minecraft and that ended up being what you made the youtube videos about well, I, I I played a lot of Minecraft um, before command blocks were really a thing that you could use for for map making and such. I, I played a lot of Minecraft just as a player. You mm-hmm. know, went through 
phases of discovering new aspects of the game. Like I, I played a lot, built built my castle, you know, built my I, I built a lot of of minecart rail stuff. I, I had very complicated redstone mechanisms for controlling minecart stations and such. Um, and then command blocks uh, around Minecraft 1.8 started becoming a tool that I realized that, okay, these fit pretty well with my programming knowledge and I could make things that are pretty spectacular um, that seem almost impossible to to the normal Minecraft player. Um, and so like I th the very first thing I did and posted on my YouTube channel was a, a working chess game in Minecraft, which was at the time mind-blowing to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's kind of how I got started. And... There, there was a little community of, of creators who made these type of contraptions, and and we all kind of collaborated, and and uh, a fair few of them are still around and and do you know more advanced things in Minecraft and have moved on. And I think the the challenge packs that I make, the data packs that I make, are still kind of a, a nice heritage from that that era of the YouTube channel, even if a command block contraption isn't really. Like it's it's weird in a way because the capabilities of the game have grown so much that some of the things that were almost magical back then are now trivial. Yeah. Because the game is so much better at doing this type of contraption thing. So, <laughs> my my follow up question was going to be: Do you think the command block is kind of a lost art now? Because I I think that a lot of that stuff was replaced, <laughs> but first by functions and then kind of broadened into data packs. Do you still find people doing stuff that? only command blocks can do or has all of that been kind of taken over by by data packs now i think there were very few things that that command blocks are actually the right tool for nowadays like i mean functions are still the same commands that you would put in in the command blocks that are just a lot more nice to work with and a mm. lot easier to to deal with in, in many ways when you first came on at mojang in what capacity was that like what was the first kind of like mm. position that's an interesting story. Like I've I've been in many different positions at Mojang actually, even though I've I've been there a lot shorter than I've than I was at, at Dice before that. But um, I started out on the Bedrock team actually, um, in a sub team that no longer exists. It was a project uh, that that ultimately was was shut down and never shipped. Um, but as part of that, I came in. Uh, it was very related. Uh, part of the the thing that we were working on within that sub project was uh, touched into commands, and it led me down a line where I needed to extend commands in a way that was impossible in the engine. So, one of the first things I did was actually completely rewrite the command parser for for Bedrock. Um, so, from coming in having worked a lot with command and command contraptions, I ended up implementing them for Bedrock and almost entirely. Uh, wow. which was fun. Um, but yeah, that sub-project shut down after a while. I, I've since then served as sort of the interim technical lead for the Minecraft launcher for a while because we didn't have a, a lead for that project at the, at the time. And then from that went into my current position as tech lead for, for the Java uh, it's the the team names internally have changed a little bit so but, but it's essentially tech lead for the java platform you could say now mm -hmm. and how does that balance out with your personal time as a minecraft content creator because you spend time working on what i presume is mostly kind of coding stuff and probably like you know a, a mix here and there of 
actually getting into the game and seeing it working, but then you spend a lot of your personal time still making those Minecraft videos that kind of started you off on your kind of trajectory towards working on Minecraft. So, mm-hmm. like, is there such a thing as too much Minecraft for you <laughs> at this point? Do you do you find that it's a bit weird kind of continuing that? I mean, obviously you enjoy doing it, but uh, how, how is it f- dividing your time between being a uh, the tech lead for the game and then also playing the game publicly? I don't think there is such a thing as too much Minecraft for me. <laughs> I, I think I would have hit that if that limit existed, I guess. But, um, well, the nice thing, I, I guess, is like I, I get to be a part of creating the, the game and the engine that runs the game. And it's ve- it's a very different thing from playing the game. And uh, I, I bring a lot of my passion into work and... and I I talk a lot about the game design with the design designers on and uh you know we we internally as a, as well as externally are a very open company so it's not like oh you know it's all the designers and they don't they make the design and they don't listen to anybody so I have a lot of interesting discussions about the game but ultimately I work with tech like I am I've always been a person that that thrives in these sort of borderlands between technology and art and so like making something that is a really solid game that people can really rely on and play well is is really a passion and that is a really different thing than than playing the game so in that way that's good i think because maybe there would be such a thing as too much minecraft if if i played a a ton at work too Mm -hmm. who knows uh i find that minecraft like i said before i i i'm still on this journey where i'm discovering new interesting ways of playing the game like i i started out building really rough little things in the game i've discovered so many things about redstone i've discovered so many things about how mobs work and handling mobs and farming i i went into command blocks for such a long time and now i've learned i'm you know, on this journey learning how to build fancy things like i I made this, I know Joel has, has talked about this before, I made, made a, an enormous uh, ocean uh, hydro station design thing around a guardian farm on the previous season of Legacy. It's nice, a month, yeah. uh, nine month long project, of an, an enormous build. And I would never have thought that it, that was the kind of thing that I would do, but it, because I, I don't really view myself as an artist in that way. And it's a new thing to learn with the game and there's always this new horizon to look for something new to do with the game and all these challenges and all these new ways to play the game are just like there's never a time where i look at minecraft and go oh there's nothing to do like there's every single time i look at the game I'm, it's the opposite I, I look at it and go oh no i don't have time to do all these things which one do i pick mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah, do you um do you do a great deal of other gaming outside of Minecraft? Do you do you take a break from gaming as work to play any other sort of recent releases, or are you are you more just like <laughs> you you main Minecraft and that's it at this stage? <laughs> uh, I do love games. I I I'm not like s- stuck to Minecraft uh, by choice in in the way that I would never play other games. I and I do play some other games, but generally my my issue is time. Like I don't have that much time anymore with both content creation and work yeah. to 
play a lot. I used to play a whole lot of Rocket League. Lately, I've been playing quite a bit of uh, GeoGuessr, especially with uh, with Kiddo at home. Mm-hmm. So that's been fun, but but it's not like I, I don't really do like gaming sessions anymore because there's simply not enough time. And honestly, just health-wise, I feel like I spend enough time at a computer or, or a screen that it's probably better for me to get out on a hike. <laughs> so sure, yeah. I try to do more of that type of stuff when I as a relaxation from from playing. Yeah, you, you've just about got time to do the wordle or whatever, and then you're like, okay, out the <laughs> out the door, time to go. Yeah. Um. So, so one last thing while we're on the the subject of of development, um, when you're developing data packs that feel kind of more like community projects, like uh, half-hearted and and heartless, do you feel like you're creating features that you would add to Minecraft if you had the choice? Like, would you want that to be a difficulty setting beyond hard and hardcore on the main menus? Or are you happy with those feeling more like community-driven projects? I think I'm more happy seeing... Part of it is I I enjoy... Because I on at work, I I sort of implement some of the functionality that is required for making these data packs. Uh, sometimes it's just pushing the boundaries of, okay, is this possible to do with these community tools? And I think the really interesting things happen when you enable the community to make more and more of this type of of, uh, different ways of playing. So I'm not necessarily at a point where I feel like, oh yeah, this, this should be in the game. I feel more like it's really great. The more different types of experience people can make with the game, the better, really. Mm Mm-hmm. Does having such a deep understanding of the technical side of Minecraft ever get in the way when you want to be creative and whimsical in your own <laughs> gameplay? No, I don't think so. Um, I know it's a it's a pretty common thing among game developers, right? Game designers, particularly, where you go like, okay, I can't play games anymore without deconstructing them. Uh, and this is a little similar, I think. And... and I find that I don't I don't have that problem a lot and and I think it's almost the opposite way like I I can know some really quirky details of some really technical thing and go like I can make a really funny thing about this but then on on the on the flip side there I just discovered new things also that I have no idea about like I I got killed by a glow squid the other uh, week on legacy <laughs> that was interesting <laughs> Uh, and it was like that shouldn't be possible but what happened was i had a drop shaft with water at the bottom and a glow squid spawn in there and I, I, when I, as i'm falling down this drop shaft i go like oh that's curious a glow squid spawn in there and then i die and i go like why did i just die from falling into water but looking at it uh, in a replay i saw that i'm starting to shift to the side so this glow squid has collided with me as i'm falling and pushed me onto the edge instead of into the water and I had no idea that was possible. So, you, know, <laughs> you, you learn new things, even though you, you work with the code of the game every day and you think you have a pretty deep understanding. There's always more things that you have no idea about. And go- going back to what you said about the game sort of straddling the, the boundary between technology and art, I feel like Minecraft can be an artistic medium in the same sense. And so the more mm-hmm. you learn about it, the more it feels like kind of art appreciation. Like you you understand the depth of understanding that other people have of the game and and you start to appreciate the way other people build and it feels much more like going to a an art gallery and looking around and looking at people's brush strokes and thinking 
you know, this person is a master of what they do. I feel like that's that's where Minecraft really kind of blurs the line into being more of like a, a cultural movement more than it is just a game, you know? There's a power, I think, in the the commonality of everybody knowing the the common base of like, okay, yeah, I can go into this world and I can punch a tree and I can, you know, I can do all these things. And yet you can look at some, somebody who's really like, you can look at Gemini Tay, who's I think been on the show before. And you yeah. can look at one of her statues and go like, I don't know how I would do that. That's amazing. But it's in this common framework where we all know what the experience is like. And I think those two things being together are really powerful. Yeah, you can look at a, a deer statue made out of spruce wood and you're like, I understand what spruce wood is. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. it's the rest of that that's just like the mind-blowing well, part. How do I make it do this? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've got a question to maybe kick off uh, our deep, dark first impressions uh, for Sliced. Uh, and I, I feel like um, one of the things that I experienced watching these videos was the it was the it was the mood shift and it was the um the odd it was the audio shift of uh i I, correct me if i'm wrong pix because i i I watched your video did the music completely cut out or did it was there a lull before creepy music started uh i didn't have the in-game music playing on my stream Uh, when i when i did that i had a, a playlist playing in the background that i then switched off and then for my video, I edited in music from the nether because it, it felt like it had the closest vibe to what was going on in the in the moment-to-moment action of the video. But um, there is supposed to be, I think, a track that Lena Rain composed that doesn't appear in 118 because I think it was meant to be tied into the deep dark in the first place. And I was trying to get that to play. I turned up the in-game music, but it didn't play anything at all when I was in the deep dark. So maybe that's just not been uh, linked up behind the scenes yet. So I know that Slice, you kind of gave us your first impressions about like from a, a player standpoint, but from a tech lead standpoint, from when you your first impressions of of seeing the deep dark or or even trying it, like what were your kind of initial feedbacks professionally when when you first saw the deep dark? I think we've gone through a lot of iterations on this internally too, and there's some. There's some technical aspects of it that are that are interesting in terms of the skulk in particular, I think is a, an interesting thing because it has the potential to make block updates happen all over the shop and, and travel long distances and such. So that's, that's a thing that we have been talking a bit about and trying to get to the point where, okay, we're, we're, we're in a reasonable place here where players are not going to immediately invent the contraption that just slows the, the game to a crawl, right? Uh, so that, that's a always an interesting thing. Um, we uh, since I haven't been that involved with it, I haven't had that much feedback really, which has been interesting. Um, there's always the interesting uh, aspect of when you're trying to do two things at a time as a development team, and they're kind of a little bit in conflict with each other. So. Uh, you you could kind of see this now where, you know, I've been in one corner of the studio virtually um, redoing how we play structures and how we how we implement structure content in the game. And in the other corner of the studio, there's this other part of the team making a new structure. Uh, so there will be some interesting 
interesting times going forward when we try to get all of that together into one build. And that's also one some of the reasons why we why these these things are these experimental snapshots, right? Because we haven't fully figured out how do we put all of this together yet. So that's why we you know I don't want to guarantee that your work world will still work once once we have figured all of this stuff out. So there's some interesting things there. Uh, otherwise, I think the from my point of view, it's it's mostly new player experiences more than it is new tech which is nice because we have just come out of this period of oh we redeveloped how we make an entire overworld that was a lot of tech heavy things so it's nice to get back to making more experiences with the things that we already have kind of yeah Mm. expanding the framework of the game to allow for coordinates below zero i i know from Mm -hmm. talking to henrik about this was way more difficult than you know it it sounds incredibly simple just to talk about it's like it's it's a number you just subtract 64 from that no (laughs) not the way it works (laughs) and so i imagine now you've got that framework in place it must almost be a relief to start working on yeah the gameplay experience side of things what can we now do with that extra height and depth that's going to draw players into certain parts of the world yeah and i think in particular having remade the entire overworld generation in a way that we kind of didn't really expect either like we when we set out to make what was initially the you know it was the mountains and the caves update right we were doing two things it was going to be mountains and it was going to be caves and it didn't turn out to be that it turned out to be the brand new overworld completely Mm -hmm. different from before update which is uh, you know maybe slightly more work uh and it's amazing like the end result still amazes me as I walk around the Minecraft world, but it, it was also very foundational work in, in a way that that is not normally the, the type of things that we make in updates. So it's kind of nice to, it's almost returning to what we used to do. Okay, we're adding a, we're adding a new mob. You know, we're, we're adding some new blocks, we're adding a new structure. It feels good. We yeah, can, it we feels can comfortable. do that and we <laughs> kind of know what we're doing. It's not this like, wait, how do we remake the entire overworld again? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but at least you haven't painted yourself into a corner at that point. You haven't developed the game to the point where you couldn't make massive changes to the overworld and like the 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 deep dark and the ancient cities and stuff. Seeing that now, I can't imagine that happening at say like you know with with the equivalent depth of like where you used to find strongholds previously you know it it feels Hmm. like an entire new dimension of its own is just down there low enough in the world now that it felt like it needed that distance so it it really benefits from that i think it also needed the the size of the new caves like I, i can't imagine an ancient city in these like cramped carved out caves that we had before either so it 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 really is incremental in a way like every change made to the game enables the next change in in a way Mm. that's that's something that i pulled away from it too watching um a couple of videos about the deep dark and the ancient city was uh the fact that it doesn't feel like a box of a structure generated in the midst of minecraft blocks it feels like uh because it's so large I mean, it's one of the biggest structures that I've seen in the game, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because of that size, combined with the size of the cave it's intersecting, it feels so much more natural 
than even a stronghold sometimes. Like I remember, I think my first stronghold really felt kind of like, oh, here's the Minecraft thing I'm looking for in this kind of like natural looking rock formation but it felt very kind of like stuck in there as opposed to the ancient city and some of it might be the lighting and and block choices and stuff um but it just feels a lot more um i guess atmospheric it it feels like it has more history i guess is the best way to say it it feels like it's been there for a long time not it's been generated by the game that i'm playing if that makes any sense yeah Mm -hmm. you you couldn't do what the deep dark does with the the darkness effect and the warden following you and stuff in a stronghold because in those caves with ancient cities you can't always see the ceiling there's a sense of openness and space around you that where Mm. the stronghold by comparison is a series of boxes and the reason it's all closed off is because there aren't really any other kind of larger caves around there for this structure to exist in at that point in the game's development so yeah what you end up with in the ancient cities is an enormous sense of space and the fact that the caverns therein can be even larger than the structure is just like it's is wild because you're right it is i'd say it's equivalent in size to a pretty decently sized nether fortress and one of those ones where the platforms just extend onwards forever on the outside and has a few sort of interior structures that all kind of cluster together so that 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 kind of focal point for an ancient city is that frame section in the center that i feel like everyone is calling frame as a shorthand i don't know if it has an official name um it's probably redacted at this point because (laughs) i i gather there's some stuff going on with that um but seeing that for the first time there's this immense sense of foreboding about the entire thing because it is the one thing in this that feels different the patterns throughout the rest of it are repetitive that adds to your sense of disorientation because you don't know how far along this thing you've walked the corridors seem to stretch out forever and even that was you know triggering fight or flight reflexes in me because i was like i can't see the end of this corridor whereas in a stronghold you take four steps one way and like there's a door and then there's three other doors through that and it's more of like a a labyrinth whereas this feels a lot more vast and scary as a result you can use the darkness more that way it's like for people that are scared of swimming in the open ocean right like yes. you can't see yeah. past your feet and you very start much to freak that out. Right. yeah i think one of the the scary things to me is like it has that kind of labyrinthine feel still but it's it's more more open right you can see up you can see around but, but there's still a lot of hidden corners and with all the the skulk shriekers around you take a step around the corner and it goes dark and you get the facts and stuff like that. The combination of it just evokes this sense of, of foreboding around the entire place, which is, which is so different. Yeah. And you immediately slow down when you're exploring it as well. Like it, it's not the kind of thing that I'm sure eventually when people are used to these and they've been out for a couple of years, people are just going to like sprint through some of these things, you know, wardens going off left and right. And then, you know, then they're, they're going to know exactly where to look. But the first time you really have to take it steady because you know that your footsteps on any blocks that aren't wool are going to you know, start setting off things to the left and right that you can't even see half of the time because of the way they've designed the the structures and the corridors. Um, I, I think the structures are great. I'm, I'm very happy with the amount of wool they've left in those pathways as well because you want to dig up one layer to take it with you so that you can put down wool to walk on to make sure you aren't being heard and you take up the layer of wool in this corridor and there's another layer underneath it and you think, okay, good, so I can you know, take all the blocks out of this floor, 
and there's still stuff underneath that I can walk on, so I can carry a stack of wool with me, and it's not going to compromise my roots around this this structure. But then there's mechanics like skulk blocks being able to detect that they've had wool placed on them. So now the skulk sensors will get tripped by that, and you have to re- remember to bridge up over them and around, and there's so many ways to navigate this place but it's not the way you just sprint through a cave placing torches. It's going to be a, a completely different style of exploration. I like, I got the impression that they were insulated walls because I I noticed that you called them like wool hallways or wool pathways. I looked at them as like the insulation that you would find in a normal home, you know, like there's walls on either side and then blocks of wool in between as if they were trying to, make the environment more quiet whoever built you know the ancient city soundproofing is effectively yeah. what they're doing yeah yeah and I, I, and I think there is certainly an amount to be gained from the the impression that gives you the law that it conjures of you know whoever has designed this place knows about the warden knows that they you know need to be quiet around this area so they've left you with pathways or yeah they've insulated walls so that you can hopefully avoid being heard for a certain amount of time um and yeah there's 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 so much there already that still feels like a mystery for now the reinforced deep slate block that's in that central frame can't be obtained in survival is piston pushable but might not stay that way apparently that may have been just something that was an oversight in the process uh but it's otherwise wither immune and dragon immune so the dragon will fly through it but it won't break the blocks the way it does with anything else you bring to the end and people have already used it to make things like wither cages you know it's it's effectively movable bedrock and you can break it after a while with a netherite pickaxe or whatever it just doesn't drop anything um but in terms of lore the implication is this is some sort of portal uh, because you see a big frame like that in Minecraft, you think, okay, that's a portal to something. But to where and why it is the the two sort of big remaining questions. And I I assume we're not going to get that in the wild update <laughs> because it seems like a much larger question than the scope of this update that we've learned about so far is going to, you know, take into account. And I'm not going to ask Slice for an answer about that one way or the other, <laughs> because, yeah, there's there's definitely stuff that hasn't been clarified about this that the team is keeping secret. But looking at that for the first time, there's this this really intense sense of, like, foreboding and wonder that I get. Slice, did you summon the warden, or were you, like, sneaky like a fox and kind of get in, get out when you were looking around? Well, see, I wasn't playing in survival much, so I, I was, you know kind of purposefully summoning the warden whenever I was doing it. So I haven't really had that experience yet, which is, I'm looking forward to it. I think from my point of view, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of halfway in between the, the two of you in that I'm, I want to play it. I want to play it before it's out probably, but I'm going to wait for a little more iteration before I actually sit down and, and try to do a full, like, heist on a on an ancient city in survival mode i think the you know the very first iteration is going to be rough i've seen people complain online that it's too easy to cheese and, and such and i know already at at minecraft live uh king b dogs talked about okay we, we we know that we want to sort of cheese proof this mob yeah he said the same thing on this podcast when he when he came on to mm. talk about it yeah yeah, and I, you know, obviously there's there's work left to do there, so 
I know the type of player I am because I do a lot of these challenges. I would I I would definitely find one of those cheese method and then, you know, it would it would kind of ruin it a little bit for me even though I chose to do it myself. So, you know, I think I'll wait a little bit and then try to get the, that experience in full. Yeah. Do you have any like does the player in you immediately go to like there is stuff that I can use the warden for. Like, are you planning to like throw it into a farm somehow? Are you are you thinking about that kind of stuff yet, or are you still waiting for the the mechanics to be ironed out before you decide this is how I can use this to farm experience or whatever? Hmm. Now, I, I don't think I have anything in particular for the warden. I think the the skulk blocks and and, and those things really got me thinking about okay, this is very different from everything that's in a game. I I can probably think of fun ways to use this the warden itself seems like i i don't really have a place for it in my kind of player vocabulary right now because it's it's kind of a boss but you don't gain anything from killing it but if you don't gain anything from killing it there's really no way there's no benefit in summoning it so really it's kind of just a punishment but then there's also a challenge in there that because I am a challenge runner, I I really like to take on that type of challenge, and it's 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 got a ridiculous amount of health, and it hits harder than than a truck. So it it's one of those things like figuring out how to deal with it once you have summoned it is an interesting challenge. So I I'm kind of waiting for a little more development to figure out where do I place, how do I play with this, what do I want to do? I want to summon it? Do I want to just not ever see it is that better i don't know yet <laughs> yeah and it, it feels like the kind of thing that you do want to see at least once because you want to know why you're going to all of this effort in the first place and i think there are some situations really if you want to fully raid an ancient city where you can't avoid summoning the warden because there are skulk shriekers and sensors arranged in formations that you can't really block them off from each other like a sensor is going to trip a shrieker no matter what you do if you want to open this chest like you can't even place a hopper under a chest like you can in some piglin bastions because then the skulk sensor is just going to hear you placing the hopper so the, there's definitely some stuff there that is going to force you to bring the warden out and it's going to be about what you do then and how you avoid the warden from that point onwards the fact that it can detect sort of snowballs and projectiles that you throw was obviously in there from the beginning it was the, the very first video that we saw of the warden did that and they provide snowballs in some of the loot chests in the ancient city but aside from that there's not a great deal around that helps you fight the warden and right now there's not a great deal of stuff that is worth the risk in those loot chests like i think the treasure enchantment is is nice the fact that you can only get swift sneak from here and that in itself has a bunch of other uses, I think. But without that, the structure itself wouldn't really have many incentives to go there other than just, you know, it's there and you can experience this warden thing and, and maybe grab some skulk and then run. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to see how the loot side of things develops because there's a chance that other stuff will be in there. There have been hints at the warden guarding some sort of treasure and whether that's specifically loot based or if it's something else about the structure uh it remains to be seen but i don't know what what makes good loot to you as as a player sliced what what makes it worth going to a structure for when you've got you know access to everything in various other ways in the game i think that treasure enchantment is a good 
uh, it's a good aspect of it, right? I think finding things that are unique are usually what that ends up being for me. And and the treasure enchantment could be that. I, I don't know. Utility-wise, I don't know that Swift Sneak is, is good enough that I would care that much about it because there's already a mandatory feather falling on my boots. And, you know, the, I'm probably going to have more use for uh, for Depth Strider. Uh, I know there's been talk about moving those to, to leggings is a suggestion that's being thrown around online quite a lot now. So we'll see where it ends up. Maybe that's it. But in general, I just feel like unique things, right? Why why do you go to a bastion? Well, maybe you want pig step. Maybe you want the, the banner pattern, right? Or you want, I don't know, the challenge or some particular blocks if you're doing a challenge run. Like a, a speedrunners go there for the gold, right? But mm-hmm. I think if you're at the sort of end game level where, where you've got most of the things you want, then what you go there for is pig step. And, and it's doesn't really do anything for you in terms of you know power of gameplay like you you don't get better equipped because you have pig step or the banner pattern for that matter it's it's uh, items that are unique and they're fun and so i think that's the type of loot i really go for otherwise i don't i don't know that i go anywhere for loot in uh, i guess like it's all early game otherwise i think yeah yeah, and, and I can't see that many people wanting to go to the deep, dark, early game or finding it because you have to be oh pr- pretty well equipped to go into the caves to begin with. And once you're there, if you're sneaky enough, you could probably manage it. But uh, a couple of snowballs on the hotbar, maybe. Um, yeah, like I, I agree with that entirely. I think the unique loot, the stuff like... And it doesn't seem all that valuable to you. It's more cosmetic stuff like banner patterns. Um and occasionally, you know, the the fun of finding diamonds in an end city or fully enchanted diamond pickaxes or whatever in an end city doesn't really go away because we just have this attachment to diamonds as Minecraft players, even when you've got a Pez dispenser full of villagers, they're going to trade you diamond tools for an emerald apiece. But I think it's still just the novelty of finding something that you spend so much time in early game trying to get and is such a, a coveted item for a while. And I don't think that they can put stuff like that in the ancient cities because then, you know, it it feels less exciting finding them elsewhere. And at that stage, players will already have most of those tools. Even stuff like netherite feels like it needs to stay exclusive to the nether. So putting a couple of netherite ingots or a block of the stuff down there still doesn't feel like the right move. And I'm trying to figure out what on earth <laughs> the right uh, loot for the ancient city is, but I'm really not sure at this point. I think you found a skulk sensor in a chest, did you not? Yeah, there are a couple of the skulk blocks, but it still feels like there's just something about the way those items are arranged that doesn't feel like other, you know, loot chests in the game do. The way Mm. the the items tend to be spread out in something like a desert temple loot chest when there's a whole variety of different things that can be in there. It felt a bit more like an afterthought to me that somebody's just kind of squiggled in a couple of candles and a couple of skulk blocks and it's all of the stuff that you can get from the environment around you. So it's not something that you need to risk opening one of those chests to get in the first place. Right. So right now, right now, the loot screams placeholder, aside from the enchanted books. And I, I don't know what else that looks like, but it's going to be fun and very dangerous finding out. I think that's kind of where my brain was going as you were talking is that like I think about the end and I think about shulker boxes and Elytra, you know, and I think about the nether and I think about netherite. 
wither skulls and eventually getting to kill the wither and get a beacon right and i and i that i think about the deep dark and obviously we're not there yet like I, I don't know what is in those chests the swift sneak is cool but probably not enough to for me to say oh that's the equivalent of like elytra like yeah. no you know like it it needs something i mean that's why it's an experimental snapshot we're not in there yet you know yeah definitely i but- feel a little bit like that's also too much right because the end is really kind of the end of the game if if you will in a, in a way um right. that's why it's named that so you get yeah. the end level items there right mm-hmm. um but like there's a limit to how much you can do that like you keep adding things to the game and you get this kind of escalation of how powerful things need to be for it to feel valuable if it is a, a gameplay item. Mm-hmm. So it's really tricky to keep adding powerful items as as loot rewards. Uh, yeah. I, I, that's that's going to always be... Like, we could have the same chests over and over, like the end chests are really like, there's tons of good loot in there, but it's not as exciting to me because it's not unique, right? Yeah. Which and is- I, I find that like thinking about Bastions... One of the more interesting things to get from there is the Gilded Blackstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because unique like blocks it's a building like block. It's unique. It's it's really fun. I can I can have a detail on a build that I know is is really like it's tough to get, and and therefore it's not just okay. It's like any other block. So sometimes just having unique blocks around, like now you, right now you can't get the reinforced deep slate, right? So that that can't be one. But maybe that type of thing is like going into an environment maybe the the reward is found like it's the environment itself rather than opening mm. a chest and picking out an item yeah maybe a better parallel would be the uh nether wart under staircases in nether fortresses like that's the only place that you can get it at first yeah once you get it you can grow your own but you can't find it anywhere else and maybe that's a better comparison to the kind of thing that you'd want to find in the deep dark would be something that you can't get anywhere else it's gonna be really tricky to get it but once you get it you can then use it for like you said like a decorative block or it has some other purpose in the game you know more than just like finding something that you've got somewhere else i do think there's definitely some appeal to taking over the deep dark though and using that as your base when you've managed to clear out all of the stuff that's going to summon the warden because at that point you have a biome sized area which won't spawn hostile mobs it's the underground equivalent of a mushroom island and i do wonder what people are going to do with that aspect you're still going to have stuff spawning above you because the biome doesn't reach all the way to build height but you know i can imagine technical players seeking out those areas just so they can make a perimeter for a mob farm because there's one section of the deep dark biome that you know is cut out of the center and is an area that's spawnable for mobs (laughs) you know the way the biome has formed or maybe around the edges of a deep dark biome you could do some interesting mob specific farms that if you afk in one place in the deep dark that's the only place that that stuff is going to spawn i can see people exploiting that mechanic and that being the treasure for them in the same way that you know you you go to the end you beat the dragon and it's not about what you get from the dragon fight it's about what is beyond that but i think there is probably a good place to leave it actually uh we're gonna close up now and uh, wrap up this episode of the spawn chunks um but thank you so much slice lime for joining us on the show uh where can people find you if they want to see more of what you do or just to say hi well 
my Twitter account is, is an interesting place. Uh, it's kind of a chaotic mix of everything I do and, and, you know, my work things, my content creator things, personal thoughts and random interesting things I found online. So if, if you want to sort of see all aspects of me, then, then that's a good place to go. Uh, my YouTube channel has the news videos. We talked about them, about snapshots and releases. I do tutorial things too. I'm going to be starting a new uh, command-related tutorial series pretty soon. So that if you want to learn how to do technical things in the game, I guess that's one thing I do. And then I do kind of cinematic Minecraft is, is my term for it. But it's kind of let's play things. And I, I really like to do really extravagant time lapses. So if, if you're into that, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, I also stream on Twitch. I, I have three streams a week, and lately I've done these like behind-the-scenes streams. Uh, at whenever there's these videos to make, I'm kind of beholden to the new cycle in making those. So, uh, yeah, I do hardcore challenges. I do uh, survival play on on Legacy SMP. I do bingo. I do all kinds of things on there. And uh, if you want a more like personal running connection i do have a discord server that's linked in all my videos and all over the shop awesome stuff well thank you so much once again for joining us it's been a, a real pleasure um in the meantime you can find more information about our show and links to the, some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the to join our community pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our goal of having the monthly minecraft audio hangout roll into the next month month as joel mentioned at the top of the show we're having one this month and very much looking forward to it we're currently at 331 patrons which is holding steady from last week thank you all for continuing your support and special thanks to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at these fun chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can find the spawn chunks on itunes spotify google podcasts even youtube really wherever you can find a podcast while you're out there leave us a review itunes spotify they're great places to let other folks know what you think of the show it helps us be discovered by new listeners you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com Find the RSS feed on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. And we'll be chatting a bit more with Slice Lime in this week's Render Distance, so now is the ideal time to sign up for that. Uh, in the meantime, my name is Johnny. Online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixlriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream at three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixlriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, at thecitadelcafe.com. This past week, uh, Brock and I talked about The Owl House, which is an animated show on Disney+. You can follow me at joelduggan on social media and joelduggan on Twitch, where I build on The Citadel on weekends in the medieval town of West Hill. Thanks for visiting The Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite and is best served with a twist of citrus. 